Hi, this is Christy Bates of Oxford, Mississippi. Welcome to episode 55 of the Deep South Dharma podcast. Today's topic is Aiming Toward Freedom, which is about wise intention on the Eightfold Path. What we look at today is how this mind stream that we deal with as part of the human condition is tainted with a variety of motives and intentions. And we are looking today at the hallmarks of wise intention that when cultivated and followed lead toward freedom from suffering. So that's what we're about today. A couple of announcements. Again, a reminder that the uh, online retreat with Bhikkhu Bodhi, July 16th through 19th, is something you should check out if you have not already done that. Heartwoodrefuge.org is where you go to take a look at that retreat and register for it. I have sat retreat with Bhikkhu Bodhi before and registered for this retreat the day, of course, back then we thought it was going to be in person, so it was pre-pandemic. I registered for this retreat the day it went on the calendar. Um, That's how strongly I um, felt about my experience sitting retreat with him before, so I strongly, strongly recommend. And um, And then a retreat that I am to lead is back up on the calendar for September 17th through the 20th at Hartwood Refuge. That one currently is, we are planning to be in person for that one, although there will be a Zoom option. So even if, if, if things develop in such a way that we're all on Zoom, great. Um, but even if there continues to be the residential option and you feel that you would be more comfortable with the Zoom option, you can still go ahead and register. The topic of that retreat is devotion to the deathless. So you can see the description there. I would love a chance to practice with you for a nice long weekend. As far as non-retreat related announcements, I want to remind you that you are always welcome to join us Wednesdays at 11.30 for just a brief midweek meditation. And that's Central Time, 11.30 a.m. Central Time. And then on Saturdays, the Deep South Dharma Oxford Practice Group, plus friends from way outside of Oxford now, Uh, meet regularly on Saturdays from 10 to 11 a.m. And we would love for you to join us. All right. We are now aiming toward freedom as we study wise intention on the Eightfold Path. Typically in religious practice, we think, at least in the West, we think of our paths of practice having to do with what should be happening, what we should be doing, etc. 
with wise intention and the way that it follows on the heels of wise view, one thing we can see is that the unfolding of the path is not about what should happen, but about what does happen on the path to enlightenment, on the path to being fully awake. And so that can be helpful if we want to know if we're moving along toward a clearer awakening, a way of living that is in harmony with reality, that is in harmony with an understanding of what brings unnecessary suffering and what brings freedom from that suffering, then the path is a description of what does happen as one moves closer to awakening and as one awakens. When we see how logically right intention follows on the heels of right view, of clear seeing, it's easy to understand why these two taken together are referred to as the wisdom factor, the wisdom branch of the Eightfold Path. I think part of what we're seeing right now is that that more degrees, anyway, of wise view have come into being in our time because we haven't been able to distract ourselves, whether through work or through endless entertainments. There's only so much content one can tolerate on the Internet, only so much TV we can watch. And when many, many of us are not spending all of our time working several jobs to survive or entertaining ourselves endlessly, we see more clearly it really lands with us when we see the suffering of our fellow human beings, our fellow sentient beings, actually. And as we begin to see that, a right intention or wise intention develops from that. In Buddhist terms, or at least in the the way of the elders, the Theravadan tradition, wise intention is spoken of specifically in three aspects. One is renunciation, the, the letting go of that which is not serving us. So for monastics, people often think of renunciation as uh, the monastics practicing celibacy or, or lay practitioners who practice celibacy. But renunciation is actually much broader and deeper than that. Renunciation has to do with letting go of that which doesn't serve us. Related to what we are all taking a look at in our lives and in our cultures right now, it's also about looking at what might I be free to let go of so that I can contribute to the good of others. 
And so if there are, I mean, taking it in the, just the most, uh, the most obvious sense, Right. If all the restaurants aren't open, or at least I don't feel safe going to a bunch of restaurants and I'm not spending my money there or in movie houses or football stadiums or other entertainments, then when this very now obvious to mainstream folks, the very obvious problems in our judicial system, our law enforcement system, come into clear view, then you have all of these people donating funds to help right those wrongs, whether it's through uh, helping people meet bail or um, helping fight legal battles or to elect officials who will work more in alignment with the values of non-harming So renunciation, the letting go of that which isn't serving us, the laying aside those things that actually limit our ability to be generous and to put our energy, not just monetary energy, but our life's energy in directions that are useful to the world. That's one aspect of this. Besides renunciation, then there is also, under the description of, of right intention, comes both goodwill and compassion. By goodwill, we don't only mean wishing each other well, although that's certainly a basis of goodwill. What we mean along the Eightfold Path is the development of a goodwill of goodwill as a practical meditation practice that we regularly undertake, sometimes referred to as meta practice in the Pali language or loving kindness. The deliberate development of goodwill allows us to become as vitally interested in the good of others as we are for ourselves. And for some people, I also should say, the development of goodwill also allows us to become, for some of us, it allows us to become as interested in our own good as we are in that of others, right? We start to experience the world with genuine impartiality and a, a wish that there be no boundaries in terms of who is allowed to have good in this world. We want access, we, we come to truly want access to all of the good things that life has to offer. And moreover, we come to recognize this um, scarcity mentality that we start to see through as right view develops we start to see through that scarcity mentality and realize there's not a limit of good things for human beings, but there has, because of greed, hatred, and delusion, there has been limits on access. And so through the development of goodwill, 
we become genuinely interested and invested in being sure that that the good things that people need to live a good life are available to all. Closely related, not exactly the same thing, but closely related, is the deliberate development of compassion. And this also is a particular meditation practice that is undertaken regularly to help us develop that genuine experiential sense of the need and desire to act, to put an end to optional suffering wherever we can and for whomever we can without regard to whether they are in our family or not of our family, whether our skin color is the same or not, whatever the bounds of nation states may be. So this, this particular practice, until you've undertaken it somewhat, it can sound scary to people. It can sound as though I'm being asked to develop a practice in which I will be overwhelmed with the needs of the world. And it's not about that. The rest of the path um, offers some balancing out. But, you know, a commentator that I appreciate a lot spoke of his, even though this is a person who has, has worked for, for rights for all people for a very long time, one of the things that he said is that even he had not treated violence against black people by the police as the emergency that it is. And so that's part of what we're looking at here is how our wiser view then gives rise to that wiser intention to recognize, oh, this is an emergency. We need to do something about this. Now, of course, this is the, the particular example of the topic of racism and anti-racism are what's on my mind right now. But this is a practice to be developed for all times and for all kinds of issues and circumstances. Part of what the Buddha was dealing with was helping people understand that creating a good life for oneself and for one's society was not a matter of invoking various gods and goddesses. It was a matter of developing clear seeing, wise intention, and then the correct actions that follow from that. So in future weeks, as we get into the other branches of the Eightfold Path, the other aspects of the Eightfold Path, we'll get into the the branch of of wise action of Sila and of um, 
the development of mindfulness and concentration in the weeks to come. Today, though, we will undertake a practice in compassion the way that is taught by Bhikkhu Bodhi in his book, The Noble Eightfold Path, because it is so relevant, so prescient for this particular version is so important for the work that we face right now. Actually, before we shift into practice, I want to give us a little more context. When I speak of our need to respond to the emergency at hand, I am not talking about becoming reactive, running around like chickens with our heads cut off, period. I'm talking about being willing, prepared, ready to face the emergency, to walk into the emergency like firefighters or EMTs, where we go in with the tools that we need to quell the fire. A summary of the Buddha's teaching could be his constant reminder that this world as we know it is on fire with suffering. And so the purpose of practice is not only to quell those fires within ourselves, but also how to help cool those fires in our relationships to other beings, in our dealings in the world. So when we undertake a practice such as the one we're about to do, we are literally in training for that. So you can pause the recording here if this is not a good time for you to practice. But whenever you're ready to practice, we're actually going to undertake 15 or 20 minutes of practice at this point. So bringing your attention with a sense of care and interest to your own bodily experience. Situating yourself in such a way that the body is supported, that the muscles can relax. You're letting your skeleton, your posture, and whatever furniture or floor that you're sitting on, you're allowing that to do the work of supporting you. Working with compassion in particular, Bhikkhu Bodhi writes that compassion springs up by considering that all beings like ourselves wish to be free from suffering, and yet, despite their wishes, they continue to be harassed by pain, fear, sorrow, and other forms of stress or pain. So, Allowing yourself to just be with that recognition and particularly to pay attention to the feeling in the body uh, through the heart center, so uh, along the throat, chest, belly, in front of the body, at the level of the surface of the skin or just underneath that. 
being sure that when you recognize that there's some habitual uh, muscle tension that you allow yourself to relax that just however often you need to. We want to let all of this be soft so that breath and emotion can move through however it needs to. And so first we want to bring to mind someone that we are aware of, someone that we know pretty well, um, who may currently be undergoing some form of stress or suffering right now. Now, it, it may be yourself or it may be somebody else you know well. Um, I will say that if, you're, if you are a person, as many people are, who struggles to have compassion for yourself. For this particular exercise, I'm going to ask you to choose a being, a person that's easy for you to have compassion for. Because what we're going for is recognizing the feeling of compassion in the body and allowing that feeling to suffuse the body. So bringing to mind somebody that is easy for you to care about Recognizing that feeling of wishing for them to be free from suffering. And yet knowing that they're going to face the problems of aging, of sickness, someday of death. That they are subject to sorrow, to hunger, grief, loneliness. In feeling that experience of wishing freedom from suffering for yourself or someone else that you know really well, you want to gently offer that wish. Be aware of not sort of trying to offload your discomfort. Right? Sometimes we want other people or even ourselves just to feel better so that we don't have to be uncomfortable. So developing some confidence that we can be with our discomfort, but feeling what it feels like just to wish them well, to wish them free of suffering and to offer, gently offer that the warmth of that wish. You may even, if you're not working with yourself, but with the image of someone close to you, you may even allow yourself to imagine what it feels like to be that person receiving your wishes for freedom. To be on the receiving end of somebody genuinely wishing freedom from you, for you. And how even in the midst of a difficult time, that can be soothing, helpful.
bringing your attention back into your own body. If you're not there right now, if you're working with another person, letting go of the image of that person right now, just feeling the effects on the body of that wish for freedom from suffering. And next, I want to ask you to bring to mind someone who's similar to you in maybe ways that are superficial or not superficial, but maybe you don't know them that well. But in along many ways, you feel that, that you're similar. And as you bring that person to mind, Seeing if you can allow yourself to imagine being, you know, either right next to them, shoulder to shoulder, or even feeling what it's like to be in their skin, dealing with whatever difficulties they may be dealing with. So again, this is somebody you don't know super well, but you feel they're similar to you, and you know they're suffering in some way right now. Noticing from this vantage point that even though you may not know the person as well, you definitely can know that they too deal with the aging of the body, the way the body can feel fragile at times, get sick. The fact that this body deals with hunger or grief or waves of anger or fear, loneliness. And because you know what that feels like, even if you don't know this person well, you may find that that compassion is there, that wish that they be free from suffering also. And just allowing yourself to experience offering that warmth to that person. Not trying to get out of your own discomfort, but just offering that wish that they be free that they have some relief and a sense that they're not alone in this. And then letting go of that person, once again, returning your full attention to your own body, just noticing, noticing what it feels like. If there's anywhere in your body that has sort of clenched up, that has braced itself against discomfort, just allowing that to soften. and not holding any blame toward that. This body is wired very often to brace itself against a sense of threat of discomfort or sorrow or stress or pain. 
but in becoming aware of that and allowing the muscles to soften, it's a powerful way to remind ourselves that the, the heart can handle much more than we realize. It's the body's reactivity, the attempt to protect ourselves that wears us out, all of that muscle tension. And now we're going to go in what may be a surprising direction if you haven't done this practice before. I'm going to ask you to bring to mind an example of someone who, who may not be aware of suffering right now, but you can see for yourself that their current actions, their current actions are bound to create suffering for themselves. So this may be somebody you know well, and you can see them doing something they've done over and over, and you know how that movie's gonna end and that it's gonna end in pain. Or you may not know the, the person or the people well. But keeping in mind that beings always receive the results of their actions sooner or later, And even if you are frustrated or angry with that person or people, reminding yourself how you can remember actions that you took that at the time you believed were making you happy or would lead to happiness, and then maybe they led to more misery or remorse, or maybe it was mixed results. Maybe there was some happiness, but also mixed with a lot of difficulty that you really would have liked to have done without. What does that feel like in your own body as you picture this person, whether you know them well, whether you don't know them well, but you can see that their actions are going to lead to suffering, to stress or pain or heartache for them, or sickness or even death? Just feeling what that feels like, knowing that we don't control the choices of others, but just allowing ourselves to feel that wish that, just like we wish all people freedom from suffering, we realize that we hope they'll start, stop harming themselves and others through their actions or non-actions. You know, there are helpful actions and harmful actions. There are helpful non-actions, such as when we wisely hold our tongue. And then there are harmful non-actions of, for instance, not speaking up when we should. Allowing yourself to just practice having tolerance for 
the feelings that come up for you as you really are in touch with that wish for people, including ourselves, of course, ourselves and others, to not cause ourselves further pain or harm. Noticing again the contraction that comes in the body, sometimes embracing against uncomfortable feelings, sometimes this contraction that comes where we feel like we're going to force somebody to do what we think they ought to do or not do what we don't think they ought to do. Just allowing that to relax. being more directly with the wish that beings be free from suffering. We can actually choose wiser actions or wiser non-actions in some cases. In the remaining couple of minutes, you can silently work with the phrases, may all people be free of suffering, may they have everything we need. May all people be free of suffering, may we have everything we need. May I be willing to take the actions needed to bring an end to suffering for myself and others. Also being directly with this wish for freedom from suffering for ourselves and or others, knowing that that wish is a good wish. And so if there are actions that maybe you need to forgive yourself for, that maybe the maybe your strategies didn't work out, right? Underneath that was the wish for freedom from suffering. And you may have gone about looking for happiness, looking for freedom and relief from suffering in a way that backfired on you. So just recognizing that even in the biggest mistakes of our lives, 
and when other people make the biggest mistakes of their lives, everybody is just trying to find their way. That doesn't mean that we don't sometimes intervene or say that's not okay. But it's important because if all of us could be in touch with that wish for freedom from harm, if we were all really in touch with that, there would be a lot less harm. Just being in touch with what it feels like in the body to be in touch with this, this heart, this embodied heart wishing freedom from harm. grateful for my connection to you, a person who would listen to a podcast about the Dharma. If you know others who might value this podcast, please do share it with them. And if you would like to be involved in the financial support of this podcast, you can do that for just 99 cents a month at anchor.fm slash deep south dharma. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Deep South Dharma Podcast. We hope you'll feel welcome to share this with anyone you think would find it useful. And as always, feel free to message us your feedback, questions, or topics of interest. Until we meet again, take good care of this body, mind, and heart.